This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the legislative session is now running on two separate tracks. On track one, it's business as usual. Both chambers meeting all day long, lawmakers moving as many bills as possible in what is supposed to be the final week of the session. Track number two is the one going on behind the scenes, as a handful of lawmakers try to come up with a budget compromise that includes cuts in the current spending plans to try to beef up the state reserve fund in case there really is a coronavirus recession. A bill to compensate Clifford Williams for the 43 years he spent in prison for a murder he did not commit has cleared the legislature without a single vote against it, which is frankly extraordinary for a claims bill. Now it's up to the governor. A bill preventing local governments from banning chemical sunscreen products is on its way to the governor's desk. Opponents are hoping for a veto. Florida politics correspondent Noah Pransky has been working on a story about dark money in U.S. elections, and he says a lot of it is finding its way to Florida. On the Sunrise interview, you'll hear from Chelsea Murphy, the state director of a group called Right on Crime. It's a conservative group that is calling for sentencing reforms that were once unthinkable for conservatives. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, March 11th. The appropriations chairs in the House and Senate are figuring out where they can cut the budget that they had pretty much agreed on over the weekend. House Speaker Jose Oliva says Representative Travis Cummings and Senator Rob Bradley are trying to put more money into state reserves as they face the possibility of a recession caused by fears of the coronavirus. Well, we, well working with uh, Chair Cummings now, and, and, and he's working with uh, Senator Bradley to put together uh, some sort of reduction in spending package. I think that uh, we're, what we're going to see now from here on out and, and into the summer is probably a difficult economy. And I, we both want to make sure, the Senate President and myself, that we put enough money in reserves. Affordable housing, visit Florida, teacher pay, like what if this stuff is on the table? Is it member projects going to be cut? You know, we, we would we probably want to take a look at everything, but we know the importance uh, and how strongly everyone feels about affordable housing. So we're trying to stay away from cuts in that area. But just about everything else could be on the chopping block, including the package of tax cuts assembled by the House. Stay tuned. There could be a decision today. Now that the governor has declared a state of emergency over coronavirus, Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody has activated a price-gouging hotline. The number to call is 866-9-NO-SCAM if you suspect prices have been jacked up to exploit the scare. The hotline will take calls on specific items in high demand like protective face masks and sanitizing products. That includes hand sanitizer, wipes, supplies for surface cleaning, and all commercial cleaning supplies. Scams can also be reported online at myfloridalegal.com. In other coronavirus news, the provost at Florida State is directing the university's faculty to be ready to shift their courses from traditional campus-based face-to-face classes to online or other alternative methods of delivery for the rest of the semester after spring break. Now, if courses were to move online, the university would remain open for business and all employees would continue to report to work. However, students are being told they should take all the necessary academic course materials home with them for spring break just in case they need to resume their spring classes remotely. A bill compensating a Jacksonville man for the 43 years he spent in prison for a murder someone else committed has cleared the legislature and is on its way to the governor. Representative Kim Daniels is the prime sponsor of the bill that pays Clifford Williams $2,150,000. That's $50,000 for every year he spent behind bars. What we're doing for Mr. Clifford Williams today on this House floor with this claims bill in no way makes up for the injustice done to him. The injustice of feeling the pain 
of the heart-wrenching hours spent behind bars, day by day, minute by minute, and moment by moment, all the time knowing that he was an innocent man. The injustice of seeing the faces of those who wrongfully convicted him night after night and laying in a dark hole on death row. And the injustice of missing the fellowship of his family members, friends, and everyone that made up his world and missing holidays and occasions with the ones that he loved. Members, I have learned a lot while working on this claims bill for Mr. Williams. First, I've, I've learned that with the depth of the, of the wrong that was done to Mr. Williams' physical state, this injustice did not break his spirit. As I look into his eyes and sense how truly grateful he is being so humble to stand before the same state that wronged him in a spirit of true thanksgiving. I know we're doing the right thing by offering this small token of compensation, and I feel safe in saying, Mr. Booney Clifford Williams, sir, your hands are clean today because this is why we are here. Before this bill, the state declared that his hands were not clean because of prior convictions and he was not eligible for the statutory compensation due to him for 43 years of wrongful incarceration. After consulting with my leadership, Leader McGee, talking to Mr. Delegal, the attorneys, and Chair Renner, I was very uncomfortable with the original state of this bill because the original state of this bill was not financially in place and beneficial for Mr. Williams. But I thank you on this House floor for offering an amendment that has given him financial stability, stability and it's making him not only have the wealth that he's getting through this bill, but generational wealth to his family. And members, I just thank you for your support of this bill and standing over in the, in the West Gallery, if you could please stand up, the family of Mr. Williams, because he did not do these 43 years necessarily alone. His family did time with him. And I just want to say that on the behalf of the state of Florida and the House of Representatives, we celebrate you and I ask you for your support for this great bill. Mr. Williams, we cannot return your 43 years to you, but it is a uh, pleasure to be able to honor you here today and to have you with us here in the Florida House to watch this vote. Thank you for being here. The question now occurs on final passage of SB 28. The clerk will unlock the machine and the members will proceed to vote. 116 yeas, zero nays, Mr. Speaker. Show the bill passes. William's daughter was watching from the House Gallery. Tracy Magwood remembers visiting Dad on death row. At the age of four, going into death row, sitting among inmates like Ted Bundy and John Spinkling, and other inmates who have since been executed, I was that little girl. I was that little girl that had a father 
that I never thought would ever come home. So what's next for Clifford Williams? Well, he's going back to prison to minister to his old friends. I thank God for everything he ever did in my life. Because I couldn't have did it by myself. But God did it. Yeah. It wasn't what I did. And I got a lot of friends of mine that's still in that prison system. And they told me, once I've been out of Yale, that I could come in and bring that ministry in there. And that's what I want to do. When he was released from incarceration last year, Williams was told he would have to wait a year before returning to prison as a minister. The year is up next month. A bill preventing local governments from banning chemical sunscreens is on its way to the governor's desk after final passage in the House. Key West voted to ban them because of fears those chemicals are damaging coral reefs. But Representative Spencer Roach of Northward Myers says there is no scientific evidence that's actually happening. And he says the threat of skin cancer cannot be ignored. Every hour in the United States, someone dies from melanoma, which is the deadliest form of skin cancer. Everyone who lives here in the Sun Belt in the Sunshine State is at risk of skin, skin cancer and premature aging. This year, the American Cancer Association estimates that there will be as many as 5.4 million new cases of skin cancer, more than 10,000 10, new cases every day. Currently, we have 10% of Floridians that suffer from some form of skin cancer. The science is clear and compelling on the effects of chemical filter sunscreens to prevent skin cancer. Maybe you still have some questions about the science of these two chemicals in coral reefs. Maybe you have those questions. But there is no dispute, there is no question on the science behind the role of chemical filter sunscreens in preventing skin cancer. It's indisputable. We have three decades of research on the topic. So when you're weighing what we don't know or what we might know versus what we do know, you have to conclusively come down on the side of science here in this debate. Chemical filter sunscreens provide the best protection from harmful UVA and UVB rays that cause melanoma. A vote against that is truly a vote against established scientific findings. There is absolutely a compelling state interest in protecting the health and safety of our citizens and allowing them to choose to purchase, use, and apply what three decades of research has told us is the best and most effective cancer prevention product on the market. I would encourage you not to think of this as local government preemption but skin cancer prevention. The final vote in the House was 86 to 47. Opponents are hoping for a veto, but the governor has not made any public statements on the sunscreen bill. On Tuesday's podcast, you heard Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed talking about a new political action committee set up by Democrats in Florida called Organizing Together 2020. Florida politics correspondent Noah Pransky, who's a reporter for NBCLX, says that committee is being funded by what's known as dark money. Uh, this afternoon, NBCLX is going to be debuting a story you can catch on both YouTube and Instagram at NBCLX kind of delving into what is dark money, because I think it's a term that a lot of people don't fully understand, and also how it became so prevalent in federal elections. You know, it's been 10 years now, almost to the, to the month, where Citizen United, that ruling was passed by the Supreme Court. And the controversial ruling said in a split decision, money equals speech. But that majority opinion also said the importance of transparency in campaign finance was so important. And the, the leading opinion said that we need more of it. Well, the country's gone in the opposite direction, and we've almost opened up these loopholes where 
you know, corporations, but really more so rich individuals and unions are able to exploit just pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into the political system with no transparency. And how has that money made its way into Florida? What are, who are some of the recipients? That money is pouring into Florida in almost every election at the federal level. Uh, we saw it in huge amounts, eight and nine figures uh, for the Senate race in 2018. And it appears that, you know, with the announcement of this um, Nikki Fried-led group organizing together 2020, um, we're going to see a lot more of it in the next year or so, too, because this group that she's leading, it's in conjunction with some of the Michael Bloomberg money, um, but it's it's largely funded by the Strategic Victory Fund. You probably haven't heard of it. It's a nonprofit where they can keep their donors anonymous. So they're going to comply with all the federal campaign laws, but what that allows them by funneling money from one group to another group, it just allow you to hide where the money is coming from. So you don't know really the motives behind the people who may be funding a candidate. And that's one thing that Democrats have really decided or really figured out well in the last few years. That for many years, it was Republicans who were dominating the dark money space. But in 2018, Democrats took a lead. Uh, $539 million were spent that campaign cycle. Democrats had a majority of it, and they're well on their way to spending another few hundred million more this cycle. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court has obviously said this is okay. But you get the feeling that maybe they didn't realize the ramifications of what would actually happen when you unleash this kind of money? Well, I guess it's not really the judiciary's decision on what they're unleashing. They were interpreting the law. But, you know, the majority opinion had a very clear warning in it that transparency is, you know, an integral part to keeping our democracy here. And we really haven't had it. So what that means ultimately for voters is their voices are getting drowned out by, you know, wealthy individual unions and other people who are pouring money into the system. Some states are mandating disclosure of campaign finance donors. Florida isn't there yet. You can check out Noah Pransky's full report on YouTube or Instagram at NBCLX. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we talk with Chelsea Murphy, who runs a group called Right on Crime. They're lobbying for a law that would mean shorter sentences for small-time drug offenders. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. It takes a special calling to be a nurse, but misguided laws are preventing qualified nurses from providing care. We can change that. Ask your legislator to expand scope of practice for nurses. Empower nurses to do the jobs they were trained to do. Paid for by Americans for Prosperity. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today for the Sunrise interview is Chelsea Murphy. She is the state director of Right on Crime. And I, I guess the best way, t- tell me, what does Right on Crime, what's your goal? What are you trying to do? Sure. Well, we are a uh, conservative organization um, that is obviously trying to push criminal justice reform. Um, however, we're, we're kind of coming from a place of wanting to keep the public safe, um, wanting to keep families together. And of course, you know, wanting to return the dollars back to taxpayers. And you've got a lot of irons in the fire this year, but there it's, it's almost like someone keeps trying to throw water on these irons. <laughs> what is the status of, of the reform bills now? Sure. Um, so Senate Bill 346, which is uh, Chair Bradley's bill, um, is currently sitting in um, the House on special order, so that should be taken up today sometime. Uh, one of those days. One of yeah. those days. Who, who knows what day it is during session? Um, but so, so as of right now, um, you know, Representative Bobby DeBose put a amendment on. Um, there was some tweaks that I know that they were changing to the wrongful incarceration cleans hands piece. Um, there is also a forensics DNA um, that was included in there, but unfortunately, um, sentencing reform was uh, was removed, um, which you know the bill was 
that was the crux. That was the crux of it. Um, so, so, so you're now trying to put the sentencing reform back in. Yes. Okay. Tell me what what reforms are you looking for? Sure. Um, so there's two pieces that were really important to us um, in that bill, which was the simple possession. Um, so making sure that folks that are um, caught with something so it starts at about a gram and then can go a little bit underneath that. But um, folks that are caught with simple possession, we're not wanting them to be incarcerated longer than 12 months. Um, and just really trying to, to make sure that we're using um, jail for a place that for people that you know hopefully. We, not mad at, um, or supposed to be, hold on, let's back that up. And there's this good old saying that started back in Texas. It's uh, prison is supposed to be for those that we are um, afraid of, not mad at. And, you know, overly incarcerating folks for simple possession is, is a, it's a sad, sad what, thing. What can they get now in Florida for simple possession? Yeah, it varies. And it also depends on prior records. So that's another thing that, that can take into effect. And this would not, um, if you do have a prior record for that, this has nothing to do with that. It doesn't matter. Okay. So minimizing drug sentences. Sure. I mean, a few years ago, that would have been unthinkable around here. Yeah. But but things are changing, and I, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly why. I mean, my suspicion is they figured out they can't afford to just lock everyone up. I think some of that is part of it. And then also the second piece of, of that bill is uh, the, the safety valve for drug trafficking. And I think that, you know, thanks to President Trump and the First Step Act, I think that that helped pave the way for criminal justice reform um, in this day. Um, and I think that it's, it's given, it should be giving Republicans, quite frankly, all of the cover that they need to make some changes. And, and the changes that we've offered are significant significantly watered down compared to what um, we have seen on the federal level. Would this do anything to reduce the prison population? Uh, it potentially could, absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, there is a fiscal on it. I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but, um, you know, I think that it will definitely affect some folks. Um, unfortunately, it's not retroactive, but, um, you know, I think that it'll definitely make an impact. So how do you make the argument that drug sentences should be lesser? In a time when we've got fentanyl running around, we've got all these weird drugs coming out of nowhere, we've got the manufactured stuff out of China. It just seems kind of scary out there. Of course. But I also think that, you know, you can look at, at history and, and how it's repeating itself all over again. And I think that, you know, when you lock them up for extended periods of time, that's not going to change the fact there's going to be another drug dealer that pops up on a corner. You're not stopping that. Um, and if anything, you could potentially make it worse down the road. Um, and I think that, you know, while we're, you know, we're hearing that, you know, Florida's on an all-time low, so is the rest of the nation. And there's plenty of other states that don't have mandatory minimums. And so we can't say that this is the reason why we have a low crime rate when we're seeing that on a national aspect, like on the level. Now, the sheriffs and the police chiefs have not been making this easy for you, have they? No, they haven't. Um, and unfortunately, you know, when you... Uh, I obviously have a huge respect for law enforcement. My father was um, a U.S. Marshal, Deputy U.S. Marshal, so it's in my my blood, and, and I appreciate and respect them. But um, when it comes to this, I'm, I'm just thoroughly confused as to what data they're looking at. Um, and, and you know, a lot of the arguments that are being made don't really apply here. Um, I know that they've um, said, talked about, you know, violent offenders, and that doesn't apply here. I, th I think their basic point is that things are working now. Why mess with it? Are they? I don't think so. I think that we have, you know, obviously a, an enormous um, uh, prison population. I think that we are busting at the seams when it comes to financial issues. I think that, you know, there's our recidivism doesn't speak for itself. Um, so I think that there is something that needs to be done. And if not, you know, we're going to get to a point where it, 
you know, you want the feds to come in and take over? It's, it's just kind of, I, I just hope that we get there and, and we can do something. And I'm really thankful that the legislature has has taken a turn. I mean, since I started three years ago, I would never have imagined that we would be having these conversations, and especially on the last week of session. Um, and so I think that that's a true testament to our, our thoughtful members who, you know, both in the Senate and the House, um, who have who have really taken this as ownership and 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 been a great voice for for those who don't have any but i think that again there's still so much to be done what has happened in this country that conservatives suddenly feel that it's okay to not carry the tough on crime banner well i think a lot of it does have to do um, with president trump although you know coming back from to texas i think that texas um, started a lot of these reforms about 10 years ago um and you know to be able to see where we've come today um and what you know that state has done i think that a lot of um the the reforms that the president saw on the first step act he took from you know what they learned in texas so i think that you know yeah, I think that just having to look at other states and see that, you know, the sky hasn't fallen, people got reelected, and we actually made community safer um, tends to tends to resonate pretty well with, with, with voters. So here we are on a Wednesday. You've got two more days left. Well, three more days left in the session if you count today. What do you think your odds are? 50-50 right now. I mean, I you know, I'm feeling really good um, because at the end of the day, we're having this conversation. Um, and I think that um, I think that we get something. I just I really hope it's what we what we came here to do. Um, it's kind of a hard I, I would go with 50 50 right now because I'm not very good at betting. <laughs> OK, our guest today has been Chelsea Murphy, state director of Right on Crime. Thanks for being in the studio today, Chelsea. Appreciate it. Your calendar of events is a short one. The Senate is scheduled to hold a floor session at 10. The House starts their floor session at 10.30. They'll both be in session pretty much the entire day. And Congressman Al Lawson of Tallahassee and other members of the Collegiate Sports Caucus are holding a congressional briefing about the issue of allowing college athletes to receive off-field compensation. That's happening at 12.30 in Washington, D.C. And it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man. One who has good reason to smile, the other is down in the mouth. A Florida man with a metal detector has discovered coins from a shipwreck more than 300 years ago. Twelve Spanish galleons laden with treasure from the New World were bound for Spain in 1715, but 11 of the ships were lost in a hurricane off the Florida coast. Most of those goodies are still underseas, where you need all sorts of permits to go treasure hunting. But Jonah Martinez didn't need permission because he found the coins on the beach using a simple metal detector. He dug up 12 silver coins worth about $6,000. And a Florida man is busted on a charge of practicing dentistry inside his own home without a license. And it's not the first time. 56-year-old Jose Santos Vincenti of Jacksonville was also arrested back in 2009 on a charge of practicing dentistry without a license and served two years in prison. According to the 2009 arrest report, he told his clients he got his license at the University of Puerto Rico. He also told them he performs all procedures except root canals. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. This is Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.